Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode is brought to you by patrons Jacob Perlin and Sean Wenning. I'm Matt Enlow. And I'm Warren Kaplan. And today, Matt and I are catching up. He's in San Antonio for work. I'm in San Antonio, which is why I sound bad. Apologies, everyone. Yes, Matt in San Antonio. As usual, his internet was amazing until we started recording. <laughs> now there's like a 10-second delay. So hopefully we're not talking over each other this entire time. But we are going to talk about some fun stuff. We're going to talk about pacing, especially in regards to comedy, how to get sharp performances and beats out of your actors, reactions, working with young children, comedic camera movement, framing. It's going to be a real fun craft episode. Also, I want to double shout out Jacob Perlin, our new patron that Matt mentioned. He has been on the show before. My old manager and anonymous content. Now he moved to Iconoclast run their film and tv department there and if you're ever like fantasizing about what it's like to be like at the best places in hollywood if you don't know iconoclast.tv you should check them out a lot of cool directors like rachel morrison and gus van Sant and lulu wang yeah so hey jacob thanks for listening to the podcast you can also be my manager by joining our patreon patreon.com slash just junipod anyhow matt i've been dying to know what have you been working on lately yeah, I'm in San Antonio working on a job, shooting a commercial campaign. Very fun. Lots of improv. I was really glad when you brought up the the topics that we're going to discuss. Because like you said, we don't talk enough about craft. So it's going to be really fun. And hopefully it's going to take me into this shoot primed and ready to get some really sharp performances out of my actors. As a side tip, if you have a shoot anytime soon and you're driving to set, especially if it's a long drive, you should have pull up a just shoot it episode. I guarantee you. You'll find some nugget that will affect how your shoot goes. I actually listened to um, like respect the process and making movies is hard. And the other film, you know, even script notes as I'm like driving to set or driving to the scout. And I like to just have thoughts on filmmaking in my mind as I'm prepping. I either do that or I'll go no lyrics in my music, like a film score or something like that. Something really more meditative. It's kind of either or for me. So besides that, actually, I thought it would be interesting to talk to people about. I'm prepping for a feature. Very exciting. 
And we're out to a handful of companies right now, still waiting to hear back. Like what? Production company? Like companies that will finance it or make it? Yeah. So so basically the the way that independent film financing works, right, is you have a bunch of different breadcrumbs that come in, right? So it's like, okay, I'm looking for people who can maybe give me an MG in writing that like I can borrow again. What's an MG? Sorry, a minimum guarantee. So a distributor can say, hey, we're going to give you... $50,000 $50,000 or $100,000 right. for this movie. If you give me Jean-Claude Van Damme, 250 grand right now. Give right. It to you. Here's a check. Right, exactly. So, so let's pretend that that was the situation. Say I was like, hey, distributors, I have a Jean-Claude Van Damme. Here's my script. They could be like, okay, we'll guarantee $50,000 for this territory, all domestic rights or whatever. And you say, okay, I get that in writing. And then I can use that to borrow against the film. So I, I would have a financier basically get that money for me, right? But obviously, I'm going to need more than $50,000 to make this movie. So you kind of have to like, basically go around and cobble together all of the different pieces of, of financing. That you'll need. And some of it's going to be pre-sales and some of it's going to be this and that. So we're going to a handful of companies early on just to test the waters. But that takes a while, right? It's, it's, it's in excruciating because it takes so long to just get people to read things and all of that stuff. So as a backup, I started kind of like building out my WeFunder page to see like, okay, just like if that doesn't pan out, what's my other plan? Because I've got a bet to win. You know, I talked to some of my pals over there. I started building out the page and what was really refreshing and exciting and interesting to me about it. And just for new listeners, WeFunder is a place, it's kind of like crowdfunding, except it lets people invest in a real way in the business of your film. So if you make money, they'll make money. Exactly. So it's like regulation CF, fundraising platform. So crowdfunding through like a, a new, more open way of investing, basically. It used to be that you had to have a million dollars in the bank liquid in order to be an accredited investor. The Jobs Act in, Act in 2014 changed that. So now anyone can invest in kind of anything. So if you want to invest in a new startup or you want to invest in a movie or you want to invest in a new micro brew pub or something, all of that stuff is on websites like Start Engine or WeFunder. They're places where people can, can have the opportunity to invest in different sorts of projects. But functionally, it feels a lot like a Kickstarter in so much as like they have a bunch of different questions for you to fill out and like ways to like a Q&A with prompts and this and that. And what was really fun about it, refreshing about it, is that you immediately are forced to reorganize your pitch in a way that is business oriented. You know, so it becomes less about like in explaining an idea to someone. It's not like picture this. It's this meets that. It's like imagine this actor running through a dark field and then surprise this happens. You know, the Hollywood type of pitching. This is the Silicon Valley style of pitching where you're saying, I've got a problem. Here's the solution that makes me special. Here's why now. Here's how it's going to make money. Just Shoot It has tens of thousands of listeners. They're all invested in Matt winning this bet. To make this movie, they will all buy a ticket to the movie. That's right. Just to hear an episode where I gloat. And just for just for clarity, the bet is that I bet Matt that he will not make his movie this year because he had a baby and it's hard to have a baby and make a movie in the same year. You are right. It's hard to make a movie and have a baby. That is 100% true. Will I shoot it this year? It's July 14th when we're talking right now. We'll see. If I am set up to shoot the movie and it, we don't roll before New Year's, 
I'll be okay with it. I will let you win the bet if your first shoot date is before January 31st of 2023. I was talking to B about it. B, who produced our first movie, See You Next Christmas with me, about her TV schedule, which kind of tends to align with pilot season, which is part of the reason why there's a little bit of the tactical nature of like, okay, if you shoot it locally and you're trying to get a certain type of talent and you can say, hey, we're in Los Angeles during this time and these are your shoot dates. It's a little easier for them to say yes, because they can continue to go out for network pilots, basically, which is still kind of a big deal for a certain type of actor, basically. So that's kind of a consideration in terms of like all of that stuff. I guess what I'm saying is that if I lose the bet to you because of the rules of the bet, not the spirit of the bet, I'm okay with that. If I, at the end of this year, give you $100 and I don't see a way of this movie happening, that'll be much harder. Do you know what I mean? Like it's not about the $100. It's about making the movie, basically. So I know that making movies takes a while, basically. It's hard. If it doesn't literally happen this calendar year, but I am confident that it is going to happen and there's evidence of that, that is a win for me. I'm okay with that. But I guess the insight that I had to make this bet is the knowledge that you have a, a full-time commitment to pay for your life, your mortgage, your kid, your family, your cars, all the things that you need. and. You have a child that you, because I know you personally, there's some dads that doesn't matter if they have a kid or not, they don't hang out with their kid that much. It's like, I'm working and then I'll hang out when I'm not working. Um, but you're not that type of dad. You're the type of dad that wants to be at least as present, if not more present than you're, you're a parent. You guys are both 100% parents. That having those two things plus enormous amount of time and money and resources that making a indie film take that those three things in year one of house owning child rearing Raising, yeah, and yeah, full-time filmmaking which already just on its own being a full-time filmmaker without the family without the kids without the expenses is already hard enough is is a lot of of uh, time there are only so many hours yeah. a day, right so the bet is not me betting against your movie sure it's yeah. me betting against your expectations of what a human being is capable of Sure. Fair enough. So that's why the time limit exists. Right. Right. Uh, of course. That, and, and that's the spirit of it in my, in my, <laughs> the spirit of it isn't you, me versus you movie versus no movie. You know? Of course. Of course. Um, and it's been a nice friendly motivator. Do you know what I mean? It's a version of setting the dates because you're just holding yourself accountable about something. Right. Which by the way, I've lost that quote unquote bet many times on this podcast as I promised to make short films and proof of concepts and write scripts and all these things that I let fall by the wayside. What's interesting about the process, and this is, I think, just helpful for people at home, is that like there's two parallel paths that I'm running on. This is bringing it back to my initial point. There's the DIY, find the money yourself, right? And we fund funder as a version of that. Yeah, I think it's the new way of hitting up rich dentists or whatever. Like you don't literally have to know them personally, but it is a similar sort of investment pool. The people who invest in a film on WeFunder who do not know you personally are doing it because they love movies and they made a very good living. And so they are willing to trade their hard-earned money for a taste of that Hollywood life. And in the best circumstances, and I think that this was mostly, if not all the case, in 
or see you next Christmas experience, it was a good trade for all parties. Like the people who invested the most and were the most involved with our film had a blast. And like we talked with Paul Scanlon um, from Legion M, you know, they're people who could afford to make those investments. So that's an interesting thing to think about. The other path that I'm describing is the more traditional Hollywood path, right? And I think that my film is going to be a combination of the two. I think it's going to be a combination of equity and traditional Hollywood money. But that Hollywood money, it just takes a while, right? And it's just as fickle as the equity, you know, the, 100%. the independent investor. You know, someone will tell you yes today and no next week. I would say it's more fickle. I would say it's more fickle because people who are investing on WeFunder are single individuals. They're not corporate entities. They're not capital investment firms. It's just like, do I have the money in the bank and do I want to do this or don't I? Is the question they're asking themselves. Like, what's my balance sheet, my personal balance sheet look like? Not a company with a corporate mandate and who's reading scripts all the time and different things are coming in and are like trying to surf the waves of Hollywood trends. My point about the the traditional route is that like if you just know that your rewrite time is going to take X number of weeks when you're not writing full time, even if you're writing full time, that can be pretty, you know, fast, you know, depending on your speed and all of that. And you do multiple rounds and then you send it to companies and it takes them three to four weeks just to give you the first inclination of whether or not they're interested. And then they probably will have notes and stuff. All of a sudden, that timeline is sprawling out into mm-hmm. July. You know what I mean? I I gave uh, the company I'm working with my first rewrite like January 11th, I want to say. I did take a long time on that next rewrite pass because of personal issues, because of having a new baby and just not having the bandwidth to, to deal with it otherwise. But now the balls are in other people's courts, basically. The traditional Hollywood model, like nine out of 10 times also relies on casting. And, you know, if uh, you think, you know, script development is slow, like, I mean, I know you know this, I'm not telling you, but like you, our audience, <laughs> casting is like, there's nothing slower than that, unless you get in- insanely lucky you happen to offer a person that's looking for your thing, the thing, and it happens to be in their exact break from the thing that is making them famous enough for them to matter to your movie. Yeah. So we've actually on that front, I've had a lot of conversations about it. And I put together lists of performers, like examples of the type of performer I'm headed out to. And it's more to give them a sense of how famous they are, basically. So if one of these people was in a hit movie tomorrow, they kind of are no longer on my list because I know that I can't afford them, basically. So long story short, I'm probably going to win the bet. So Oren, I've been dying to know, what have you been working on lately? I have just been grinding in this commercial thing and i just had a shoot last week and it was notable in a couple ways you know and i say unfortunately but everyone has their own opinion it was a non-union actor shoot which mm-hmm. generally means newer actors it was a comedy shoot which means you need really good actors and it was three spots and each spot starred a five-year-old mm-hmm. so they are especially new actors these five-year-olds so it had the challenge of working with with little children 
mm-hmm. but also in directing them and getting comedic performances out of them, but also just getting good comedy out of the entire ensemble cast. And for a commercial, and I can't stress this enough, a commercial, you have a time limit. So the comedy cannot be slow, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Because you go see an improv show and there's so many funny people that are just like the laughs live in these awkward beats and awkward silences. But in- a pregnant pause can be the punchline, but not on a commercial. Yeah. Uh, before you keep going, I, I just want you to paint the picture a little bit. You said a, a five-year-old child. If you are not around children with any frequency, five sounds pretty young or pretty old, depending on whatever. As the parent of a six-year-old now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Paint, paint the picture of what a five-year-old typically can do. Where where are they developmentally and in their lives? Just real quick. Well, first of all, they can't read. You can't give them a script. They have to memorize things, and which is part of the reason it's hard to change dialogue. And, it's, and their parents are so important. They can walk and they can talk, but for context, I think we saw maybe like 100 kids in our first you know, video submission. And I would say at least... 50 of them, you would not be able to understand what they're saying if you didn't have captions. Like your family understands you perfectly, but like your ability to enunciate isn't super clear. Your vocabulary is limited. You know, there's all sorts of little quirks, linguistic quirks that people grow out of, you know. Yeah. And we were using big words. The context, these, all these kids are playing bosses in various offices. And if I wanted them to say, you're going to have to talk to HR about that promotion, they literally have no idea what I'm saying. They're going to butcher most of the words <laughs> in that sentence. So yeah, so they, they're great. Also, they just have a time limit. You got 30 minutes maybe on set maximum. Before what? Before they just stop doing what you asked them to do. Like they don't want to do yeah. another take. One of our actors spilt, uh, there's a scene where he's supposed to drink a Capri Sun. And he spilt the entire thing all over his wardrobe. <laughs> uh, that is like one of the least surprising things that happened. Safety is incredibly important. These We yeah. had a kid stand on a the table. There's a very high chance he will take a step. And they are so easily distracted. That's a five-year-old in a nutshell. I'm trying to think. And of just to remind people, like, they're so easily distracted. It's like, you know, a film set is full of distractions and you need them to look at one thing and one thing only the person they're delivering their lines to. I'll just tell you my thing with, with a kid that age. It, it's incredibly helpful that I have a kid that's close to that age. My number one tip, if you're going to work with young children, by young, I mean like younger than 10 or mm-hmm. eight, it's going to sound very specific, but I, I believe in it is learn at least three magic tricks that you can do on set and that you can do well with, something in your pocket, like a coin or something. Mm-hmm. I know it sounds so dumb and so clownish, but what I've learned about children from having one is they have zero interest in conversations. Uh, I don't know mm-hmm. if you've like auditioned any kids recently, but if you're like, Hey, what shows do you watch? Oh, Paw Patrol. Oh, do you like Disney princesses? Mm-hmm. What, you know, what's your favorite ride yeah. at Disneyland? Oh, what are you in right like, now? Yeah. You've been on Yeah. What are you learning in school? They do not give two shits about talking about that stuff. They mm-hmm. do not like to have conversation. They're, they're the opposite of intellectual. They just want to see things and do things. For years, I tried that. I would like audition kids. I meet with them. I try to make friends with them. You know, we're all wearing masks on set, which makes it 10 times more difficult to connect with a child when they can't see your face. And 
I literally like take a coin out of my pocket and like, you know, make it disappear, pretend to eat it, pull it out of their ear, like all that dumb, dumb, lame dad magic. What did, yeah, just like a basic palm? But the main move is called the French drop. Let's look it up. Mm. Okay, so sure. That, I do know. If, I do know. You're like 90% of the way there on everything yeah, yeah. magic related. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I also do a, a really good like a straw up of the nose and then pull it out of the mm-hmm. ear. Another really That's easy a great one. one. Great one. Or a pencil. You can do it with anything like long and skinny mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. has like one texture on it. Um, and then I have, you know, disappearing salt shakers and cups and also just like a tissue or a Kleenex or anything. Make, I can make it disappear in front of your, your face. Is a, basically, you just throw it over their head <laughs> out of their eyesight. But if you know those three or four things, like literally the kids will not leave you alone once you show them this trick and they'll want to engage and you can reward them, you know, like, hey, mm-hmm. do this trick. And they'll always say, wait, wait, do that again. Do that again. And you'll be like, I'll do it again if you do my another yeah. take for me, you know, quid pro quo, Clarice. Yeah, it's yeah. all a negotiation. So we had a kid. He actually might have even been four. He was the youngest of the kids. And he, his bit, like his character was this boss that never pays attention to what anything is in a presentation and we're trying mm-hmm. to present to him. And he's just like, like, he can't like loses his phone and is drinking, like spilling Capri Sun on himself, which we got because he did, even though that wasn't the plan. Um, and he's, he shows up in this little toy Mercedes and he just is just like crashing into all the office chairs and stuff and walls and shelving while they're trying to give the presentation. So with that concept to me that the plan, the approach was like, Hey, this is what we have scripted. You know, he's like mm-hmm. turning his sunglasses upside down. He's crashing into things. He's like squeezing his juice packet, but anything he does works. And so in the edit today, I saw the first rough cuts, like two of the things where he's ignoring them are just things that he did while he was ignoring me, you know? So I have two questions. So first of all, are you planning on any VFX? Are you shooting plates where you can, for instance, really what I'm getting at is that I think that there's a very strong parallel between shooting with animals and shooting with children. And I have a lot of experience shooting with animals relatively similar in in so much like when they're young, there's a few things that you can do. Yeah. I mean, children, you can talk to, I'd say they're way easier. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but even still it's what I'm getting at is like, uh, I would do a lot of VFX, a plan on VFX because then I could have, closer proximity to them and know that I would just get the shot that I actually wanted, but, you know, paint myself out or, or a trainer out or, or a parent out, what, right. Whomever. Right. So if you're saying like, Oh, I need someone to, I need to set an Island for a baby to be looking at their employee, but they really only seem to want to be looking at their mom. I would put mom where the employee is and then paint mom out and put the employee in as a different plate shot. The other thing is, Again, with animals, like if you're trying to get them to do tricks, it's pretty hard, pretty rough. But if you're just asking them to be present in an environment and then you're giving them things to react off of or to think through, that's where you're going to get a real authentic performance. Do you know what I mean? Because you could teach a kid to memorize a line. You could get them to say come into my office, but are they going to put the right inflection on it? Are they going to have the gravity that you need? Are they going to sell the joke? Probably not. Right. Right. Well, so I'll get to dialogue in a second. Cause I have a thing for that too. And for my shoot, the dialogue was like very specific to the product. So we kind of needed mm-hmm. it to be right. But for what you're talking is, is totally like kind of, I, I love that. And it, and I did do that a little bit. So we had a moment 
with this kid that's not paying any attention to the presenters, mm -hmm. there was just a birthday in the in the conference room before they did this presentation. So there are some balloons left over, and one of the presenters just like grabs the fork from the cake and like pops a balloon. And he, the kid is like, looks up. And that's when they get his attention and they show him the product. And he's like, whoa, it's actually pretty cool. So, so in, in outlining that, that's very like the, the wow, this is actually really cool is the only thing that's scary to me. And that that scenario that you just outlined, like board snaps to attention with something that's authentically exciting. Cut to insert of the person giving the presentation. All of that's very simple. It's the 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 moment of acting basically where a child has to tell the audience that they're impressed is tricky so i'm curious to see how you approached it so first of all the kid did not know about the balloon popping at all mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so we never did the balloon popping until we were on his close-up because i i wanted the genuine just like you said one or two cameras just one camera but we are like rolling non-stop sure and you know the other thing you're talking about vfx and removing things like so he's driving this toy mercedes and he's in control of it, right? He hits the <laughs> gas, the accelerator, and goes forward. And I'm like, do not drive. Just wait. Wait till I say act. As I'm saying that, he's driving forward. He's driving forward. So I just have to pull the car back. And literally, I'm like, are you rolling? Everyone rolling? Okay, do not drive until I tell. And of course, he drives before I tell him. But I basically have to like let go of the car and run out of the frame. There's a lot of footage of me like trying to set something up and running out of the frame. So I'll be out of it. But we didn't, we didn't actually use any of the effects, but eyelines are really hard with kids. With, mm -hmm. You know, with adult actors, you're like, hey, here's your eyeline. Look right next to the lens. Look at this person, even though you're talking to both of these people. With the kid, I, I try to be their eyeline when I can. Mm -hmm. What we did with this, this little kid that was driving the Mercedes, we put sunglasses on him. So the eyeline is way more forgiving with the sunglasses. And then for the wow, that's actually a pretty cool line. So the way we have it in the edit now is... He's not paying attention. He's goofing off. She pops the balloon. He looks up, and then the, there's a line of dialogue that the present, you know, the person giving the presentation says. It's like, you know, and this is why this product is so great, or whatever. And then we cut back to him, and he's like, "I wanted him to lift up the sunglasses and say, wow, that's actually pretty cool.' Mm -hmm. I never, I, I got him to do it once, but he literally like falls out of the car halfway through the line of dialogue. Like, <laughs> uh, I ended up just. You know, the glasses are all already up on his head, you know, when you cut to him mm -hmm. saying right. the line. I mean, I have 20 different versions of it. Some with the glasses on, some with that, but that's how we did that. And so for dialogue, I'm a big believer in this, especially because I saw behind the scenes of Steven Spielberg doing this on E.T. Just feed them the exact performance and cast kids. And this is what I did in the audition. They came in, they knew their script, all every kid like had memorized at least one line at a time, you know, with their parents. But I was like, okay, great. Now I just want you to repeat after me. Like, hey, you guys are fired, you know? And then mm -hmm. I just wanted to see if they, A, would listen to me and mm -hmm. B, could copy my Good performance. Imitation. And so, yeah. yeah. So all the kids' performances are basically them just trying to copy me. And I just stand wherever, yeah, their eyeline needs to be. And I'm like, okay, now say this, now say this, now say this. And I just do it over and over. Like there's one line that's like, this kid says, um, and I want more candy or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I was just, you know, I just yelled it over and over and he like, wasn't doing it that loud. And I was like, just yell at the top of your lung. And it's embarrassing. Cause you're as a, you know, we're directors because we don't want to act. I mean, so right, right. that's what I found. And then I get all these versions of the performance and it's really fun. I keep thinking of the short Caroline. We had the producer Kara Durrett on the show. 
Caroline is about uh, like a young mom who like has to like her babysitter falls through last minute and she's on her way to a job interview. She really, really needs the job. She's got two young kids that she leaves in a parked car in a, in a, in a car. And that's the short. She talks about how the directors really just like did a lot of improv with the kids of like, you know, motivating their actions based off of playing games. Like, look for the keys. Where's that sound? Like, look over here. You know, tell me this, tell me that. But that part of what they did was VFX out eyelines that were wrong. You know, when the mm-hmm. kid is naturally looking to the director to see if they did it right or whatever, and they should be somewhere else or, or vice versa just going in and replacing eyeballs in instances where it's no good. And that's a, a dramatic piece, which, which I think makes your, the performances being natural and realistic and grounded, mm-hmm. like are so much more important there. And I think you, well, a, you don't have the time limit. Like it's not like, Oh, she has to say this line in three seconds because we get to fit into this edit. Right. But right. also, and yeah, that, I, that I think, wait, all those things they did would totally work here too on like a schedule and all that stuff like when those things when you don't have time to do those things Mm -hmm. especially if it's like a comedy spot sometimes it's okay if you're just like feeding them the performance you know and they actually in reality don't quite even know what the performance is they don't even know what's happening yeah i I think that honestly it's more for like if if the performance if you love everything about the performance but you can't use the take for some eyeline reason in the last moment or something like that you know, perhaps you can salvage it. And the last thing I'll, I'll say about, you know, my last tip, which is, again, a very obvious one, but if you don't have kids, maybe it's not as obvious, is like they literally work on rewards. So when we had this car, this electric car, I unplugged the battery and he's like, the car's not working. The car's not working. I was like, hey, if you give me three takes, I will fix the, the car for you. It sounds insane, but that that's like how kids think like, oh, I'm going to get this thing if I do. Because if you wanted them to do five takes because like the dolly messed up and then this thing, and then they said the wrong okay. line, they're going to be like, no. And there's not a lot you can do about it. So yeah. you need to yeah. come prepared with the rewards, you know, and I mean, the, there's the obvious, like the ice cream and the candy. And obviously they look <laughs> crash quite fast after that. But th- this is kind of like working with animals. Like if you had like a bag of chocolate chips where you could give them just a really small sure. treat. Yeah, like, like a little treat every once in a while. Yeah. Silly as it sounds, like that stuff works and the kid will actually like really enjoy it. Anyhow, yeah, so those are my tips. I'd love to hear your thoughts. You can email us at just shoot at pod at gmail.com if you have any thoughts on working with kids. 
One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you think about camera movement as it relates to comedy, does anything come to mind? Do you, do you have any rules or okay. even things that are not necessarily like comedy rules, but like how Matt Enloe shoots? a scene between three people talking to each other. There's stuff that everyone knows, right? Like that, like body language is funny and like cutting to a wide shot for like an awkward beat is like always funny. Yeah. Yeah. So this is maybe a little bit of a tangent. You are very clued into shooting for a great edit, right? Which is like people who have an editing background, I think they totally, totally get that. Uh, And I think of my wife also loves editing because she cares so much about dialing in a performance so much. She loves to micromanage every single breath. Every single beat is like she wants to craft and like really, really, really dial in. And it's hard to do long takes that are as dialed in as she wants. It's easy to do single little bites, right? You know, you can get, mm-hmm. you get the, the bits and pieces. And, right. I, and you don't want to give an actor like 80 notes on the scene. Right. Yeah, you can't. You, you give them three and they're tapped, basically. It made me think a lot about when I first started working and directing. I was really scared that things just weren't going to cut together. And so my coverage was really expansive. I would, not, not that I had that many angles, but I always had clean singles and a master so that I knew that if I messed up somehow, everything still is going to make logical sense things are going to cut together because i like i said i was just scared that i was gonna not have a clean entrance or exit or something strange that was just gonna make it so that the scene was unusable basically which i think i had maybe done once or twice you know in like a practice short film or in film school just like been in in a situation where i couldn't get myself out of of a mistake basically but as a result of that style of shooting you end up with footage that you can really, really chop up. It lends itself really well to improv, really well to cutting jokes that don't work or plussing things. You know, when you have a very basic set of coverage, it lends itself to like just tightening those screws. And at the time, especially, I remember like really loving the work of like Paul Feig or like Judd Apatow. Like it, like 
improv, just riffing was a big, big thing in comedy back then. If you look at my older work, you know, it's really the camera doesn't move a ton because I prioritize dialogue over the years. That's really bummed me out, which is a way of saying, like, how do you conceive of a scene that has dynamic blocking, that has scope, that doesn't feel like I feel like sometimes you call it like web series editing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Master two over over, you know, you're going to have the scene. That's that's where I learned it was on my web series. So yeah, uh, and also to your point, Judd Apatow shot many movies like that. No. Yeah. And, and you shoot a ton of alt jokes and you pick, you know, the, the, the funniest joke is always going to work in a clean close up. There's something nice about spending a lot of time getting a perfect wide master, mm -hmm. perfect over perfect mm -hmm. close up. Everything's lit. You're not shooting 40 different things. You're not locked into a camera move. You can really go with the story and the performance. And, but the visuals and, take a backseat. You're not doing as much visual storytelling. Right. The camera movement is not helping you tell the story. Right. right. Or maybe the editing is. You know, you cut to the super wide. Certainly the editing a kid yeah. skates by on a skateboard and that gives you the awkwardness that you're looking for. You know? Right. Yeah, yeah. You cut right wide to reveal, oh, there are people listening in on this intimate conversation right. while you said something rude. So do you feel like camera movement is one of the first things you think about when you're... A hundred percent. Yeah, I think about... Uh, shot listing. Shot listing is, it's like placement and, and block. I'm trying to build blocking that both facilitates the comedy and also keeps things interesting, especially at the beginning of a scene, basically. I think there's something to be said about those simple you know, filmic structures, especially when you're starting out. Yeah. So I think if you want to do visual comedy too, and obviously if you watch like Tony Zhu's, you know, essays on Edgar Wright or Every Frame of Paintings episode on Edgar Wright or Buster Keaton, or even Jackie Chan, like that's so much visual storytelling, you know, and Edgar Wright, like he can make a really hilarious shot without ever moving the camera. And it's about yeah. a hand entering or a person entering or something like that, um, you know, in comedy, one of the funniest camera moves of all time is a pan, you know, mm -hmm. from one thing to another thing, whether it's a reveal or whether it's just to see a reaction and come back. We actually did something on my shoot, which is like this a kid yells about candy and we like pan into the hallway of the office and some guy that was on his way to the office just like backs up and like takes, you know, <laughs> exits. Just the back slow backwards. Yeah. yeah. They make it into the cut, but... To me, the funniest part of that is the pan, you know, mm -hmm. it's taking us out of our scene for it. It's like a family guy type of joke, right? Or 30 Rock. Remember? Both of those shows have an omniscient voice. There's almost the camera is the narrator telling you there's something else in the world that's funny. Rem remember that what's happening here is absurd and here's someone objectively reacting to it the way that you would, you know, you're yeah. not in the moment in quite the same way. I guess my personal philosophy, and this is like Oren, Oren's way of shooting comedy, is I think if the plot is funny and you have mm -hmm. kind of really good jokes and like if you think of like The Hangover or like Shaun of the Dead, then I would shoot it more steady cam, dolly, static shots, pans, controlled camera movement because I, I want to be cinematic and I want the story to be really funny. But if I'm doing more like absurdist humor, which is more of what commercials is like this job I just did where these five-year-old kids are the bosses in an office mm -hmm. that's otherwise all adults. 
it's like a juxtaposition, right? It's like a metaphor. It's like a sketch. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a sketch game. premise. Yeah. yeah. So to me, if the premise is absurd and like not grounded in reality, I want to ground everything else in reality. And the way I do that, and I 100% did not come up with this, obviously, but I do what they do on The Office and what they do on Parks and Rec and what they do on Modern Family. Mm-hmm. And I just try to shoot it handheld because it has just a hint of docu-style camera work, mm-hmm. which in my mind makes it just a little bit more realistic. It's actually my philosophy for visual effects too. Like I love doing visual effects on handheld camera shots because the camera movement tying the visual effects, you know, that mm-hmm. are created in the computer to the footage captured in real life is what makes it feel real. That's why I like when everyone's like locking off the camera all the time. I'm like, Ugh. Like, I love insert shots in our handheld, especially if it's like a screen replacement or something, because it just yeah. feels, it, it marries those two things. Yeah. yeah, they're moving in the same way. They have the same motion blur and instantly you feel like it feels more real. So I love shooting absurdist comedy handheld. I use like, you know, Modern Family as a, as a reference on like half of my pitches. Yeah. Um, you know, what's so funny to me is that I agree with everything you said, except for the base premise that handheld equals more real because I know that that kind of came from a, like a reality docu-style reality docu-style. Yeah. But, but like uh, totally, totally. And I, I think like, think of like, um, Cloverfield or, you know, those found footage movies. If you think of Cloverfield or the first season of like the, the British office or things like that, those do feel documentary. I do not think that, Modern because family. People are talking to camera and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I I get what you're saying, but I guess what I'm saying is like, I don't think that those actually feel quote unquote real, and that doesn't bother me. Not that oh, I, I don't believe that Modern Family really has a doc- documentary crew, but I, I guess what I mean is like the film language is its own thing, and that if they wanted to make it feel quote unquote like a documentary, I think they plus all that stuff a little bit harder. You know, like they did in. The, those earlier like examples. What we do in the shadows there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But the thing is, is that as soon as the camera is breathing, someone is holding it and breathing and moving and panning mm-hmm. and reacting and like on Veep, like tilting down to, to see what someone mm-hmm. is signing, you are introducing another character, right? The camera is now a character right, with the a point of view. is participating, certainly. Yes. But like... And it, in reality, an operator is reacting to the scene. And I love all of those aspects of, of handheld. And I guess maybe it does ground it in a certain sense. But I think, I guess what I'm saying is that, like, I maybe don't totally agree with handheld equals real and static equals artificial. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, static, like, static doesn't equal artificial, studio, but static is like a window into a world mm-hmm. in my mind, you know. But yeah, I mean, this is that's why I said it's like that's how I sure. think about it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, it's cool that everyone thinks about it in their own way. But I didn't want to talk about a tool. And I the the biggest problem about shooting handhelds, especially commercials, um, is you have mm-hmm. a lot of people that have care a lot about what you're shooting, and they're looking at the monitor and they want to see like where the light hits and what the product looks like and what's in and out of frame, the art department and all that stuff. So you need someone to hold the camera. <laughs> Or you put it on a tripod and then you take it off. And what my DP wanted for this shoot that I just did is she got us something called a wobble head, which is 
something that goes on the dolly or the tripod like, or wherever. It looks like a hemorrhoid pillow that you then nest your camera on. Yeah. So there's, um, I think my, a lot of people know what the cine, cine saddle is, you know, or, or like mm-hmm. you're just putting a sandbag on a head or even just like a lot of people use a very loose tripod head and they just kind of move it as if it's handheld, mm-hmm. even though it, there's a real subtle distinction where of you rotating on one axis versus you moving mm-hmm. on multiple axes like you would on a shoulder. And so what, that's what the wobble head does. The wobble head is like a tire and you can inflate it to make it more rigid or deflate it to make it softer. And the camera is sitting on this tire and you can pan and you can tilt and you can operate. But, but just being on this tire by its nature is like the camera is wobbling a little bit and it gives you this simulated and handheld. So it's a cool thing. Check it out. I do not think it's expensive. That said, I personally, I didn't love the wobble. I I felt like it, it removed that like, you know, I, I, I also fell in love with, with handheld, like as when I first picked up a camera, you know, and like mm-hmm. had my TVX 100 and like followed people around and actors and someone said something and I would pan over to see what they're saying or what they're looking at. And I love that. And I, I think that can be really funny too. Anyway, I'm just partial to handheld, you know, everyone, as they get deeper into filmmaking, like the first step is they want to do more dollies and techno mm-hmm. and all that stuff, steady cams. And they're like, how can I get this to just feel like a David Fincher movie or something, you know? But then I like kind of backing back up to the, the handheld for scripted comedy. Cool. Are you doing, what's your shoot that you're doing this week? Are you doing handheld studio? All handheld, all, all handheld, but the characters are meant to be vloggers. So the actors are uh, operating the cameras themselves many times, like they're holding mm-hmm. phones and things. But we're also, I pulled a, an Insta360 cam. I was like, oh, what what would like a a really overly enthusiastic video blogger have? They'd shoot some B-roll with that Insta360. And I'm really excited about it. It was like, what what's the coolest thing you can get at a Best Buy to get a cool shot? Speaking of shots, I, I ran into this problem on this last shoot. And I know we all run into this problem all the time. And it's about two shots. Um, you know, I'm mm-hmm. assuming everyone knows what a two shot is where you have two characters standing next to each other. Uh, oftentimes they're facing each other and that's a very easy two shot to get um, because, mm-hmm. you know, there's a few feet between them. Depends if they are about to kiss. Maybe there's a few inches between them. If they are yelling at each other, maybe there's a few feet between them. But in general, those shots are, are relatively easy. But a lot of times we do two shots, especially in comedy, where two people are facing the same direction. They mm-hmm. are presenting something. They're mm-hmm. talking to someone. In my example that I had to do this last week is I had two employees they're holding an iPad in between them, uh, showing their boss some software on the iPad. So I had one of the guys hold, you know, I had the, the man hold the iPad to his left and the woman was on his left and she was pointing to the iPad as she was talking about it. And so, you know, I framed the two shot and want to get a relatively tight, like a medium shot. You know, I want to see the iPad, but because the iPad is a certain size, I want to have it fill up as much of the screen as possible so that it's legible. So I framed this fairly tight two shot where the people are basically like practically touching each other. What you're describing is that you're not shooting a two shot. You're shooting a three shot. The iPad. That's the problem. If you were just framing two faces, you'd have more flexibility. But because you've got an iPad that you have to make room for as well, I think that's part of what you're battling. Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, so the problem that I had is when I go to do the singles, 
it's pretty much impossible for me to get the single of a person of one of them with the iPad without having a sliver of a face. And I remember that way back when I first started like directing, I would be framing these shots and I would just have a sliver of a face, just the nose, just like the cheek, just something mm-hmm. that would just buck me so much. But like, we go tighter and then now we lose the tie or whatever. Now mm-hmm. it's like we're cutting the hair off. Now it's an ex- like, it's a real mm-hmm. close up, and I prefer a medium close up. Do you ever run into those things? Like what, what, do you have any kind of rules for framing two shots? Or are you cool with cheating? You know, you go to the close up, you just separate them. Yeah. Yeah. I would cheat it and be mad at myself in the same way that you're mad at yourself when you just get a sliver of them. Like yeah. the, the answer is that there's not a good way to do it. I did this something crazy because my guy was like six, four. Mm-hmm. And my girl was five, six. They're almost oh, okay. a foot in height between yeah. them. But when they're walking and talking, I wanted to get their faces kind of close to each other. So she was wearing high heels. He was wearing, you know, flat shoes. Mm-hmm. And so their their faces are relatively close to each other. Um, but now when I'm going to the singles, I want his face out. So I'm like, hey, can you stand on your tippy toes? And I take her heels off and put her on like mm-hmm. a quarter apple instead. Apple box. So you're still feeling a piece of them, but it's their arm or shoulder rather than. Yeah. Uh, well, she's pointing to the iPad that he's holding. Mm-hmm. So I need to see his hands. And in the two shot, they're practically touching each other. So I don't know. It's um like framing those things is always tricky. And I guess I really am just bringing it up. A, so if anyone else listening ever has this problem, know you're not alone. And B, for me to know that I'm not alone to know that this happens to you sometimes. Yeah, definitely. Definitely happens to people all the time. Did you consider the other solution is that you shoot at a bit more of an angle? If, if you have your mm-hmm. two actors are square to the camera, mm-hmm. the, the shot that you're describing is a center punch in, right? Effectively, you're just zooming in. You're just lensing in and then trying to split the difference between the frame size that you want and the composition that you want, right? Yeah, pretty much like it's like swinging a lens and getting close up and then right. panning left and getting close. Yeah. But, but yeah, but if you were to say scoot the camera, you know, to the right. three feet to the right or to the left, so you're strafing across their faces a little bit more, losing one of their two eyes you would ha- have an easier time getting clean versions. They're just looking off frame, which is not, it sounds like what you were looking for compositionally, but that would be the other thing you could do. And it's not so not very good. Yeah. So that's what my DP kept pitching. Let's go to the side. Let's go to the side. We'll get this bookshelf and we'll do this. One. And I'm like, <laughs> to me, the art direction is very important. Framing is really important. Lighting is really important. But the thing that trumps all those for me personally is eyeline. Yeah. Yes. And I like an eyeline that's as close to the camera as possible, especially when you're doing delivering funny dialogue or talking about something that we need to make sure the viewer sounds like product value props as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Value props. If they're setting up a story point that like they said the code was one, two, three, four, or whatever, you know, like I wouldn't have that dialogue play on someone's reaction to it, right? And want to right. see that. Right. Thing. So I guess the, the takeaway here is just like when you're making your beautiful two shot or master shot or wide shot and you're moving everything and cheating everyone and Apple boxes here and rearranging the furniture to make it just the perfect thing, just know that you'll end up being in that shot for like 10 <laughs> to 20% of that scene. 
Yeah. And you're living in these medium shots and close ups mm-hmm. and don't screw over. Like just always think of what those close ups and if you have like Artemis on your phone or something, like yeah. while you're setting up that beautiful white shot, just run over and just make sure because hey, guess yeah. what? Now that person in the medium shot might have like a giant tree sticking out of the back of their head or right. a light pole or weird lighting. And I think um, that I, I maybe stand by my first suggestion of like, just cheat it. Like the, the cheats yeah. aren't that bad. Yeah. Yeah. DPs, they want to cheat everything. And then you're like, that's because you're never in the edit, dude. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to live with the consequences. If it didn't yeah. work, we can't use it. So yeah, you're getting yeah. great shots and it's undeniable that this is a good shot that you got, but it does <laughs> not cut. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to hear from our listener. I know I say this about every topic, but literally if you have a way you shoot comedy or you think it's funnier, you know, um, especially this two shot problem, uh, I would love more insight on other ways around it, you know? Yeah. And I think that even the more general version of like going from wide to coverage of your actors, like what are the pitfalls you've had and like ways mm-hmm. you've gotten around them? Email us at just shoot a pod at gmail.com or you can tweet at us at just shoot a pod. I want to talk about one last thing about comedy, shooting comedy. It could be actually not just comedy, like anything that's slightly stylized or has a time limit or has to be done to like a rhythm of a song or something is about getting, I call it sharp performances. What I mean by sharp performances is no mumbling, no stumbling mm-hmm. and picking up the cues, which for those of you that don't know means don't wait before you start your line. Like, as soon as one actor finishes their line, the next actor is already don't, starting. Don't leave yeah. any breath in the performance, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I find that even on comedy sets, and I had some actually really good comedy actors on this last thing. Um, it was kind of a mix of like really experienced comedy actors and not so experienced. But even the experienced ones, their instincts are to play things awkward, to have a pause, to do this. And mm-hmm. I'd be like, that's awesome. That's awesome. Love that. Love that. Let's just do sharp, sharp, no ums, no us, no, uh, excuse mm-hmm. me. Just like tight. I would say yeah, tight. tight. Yeah. Tight. Yeah. Tighten it up. And so, yeah. What are, what are, how do you talk about that? And like, how important is it for you? Yeah. It's super important. I think that it's something that you talk about results oriented directing, tighten it up, pace it up. Those are, Pace it up, I think, is an, is an okay one. Like, faster is effectively what I'm saying. I think that's okay. But tighten it up tends to not get the result that I'm looking for anyway. And so I think that it's sharper to... I think you can say, like, be articulate. like mm-hmm. Yeah, enunciate, basically. Enunciate. You know, I think that, you know, clarify things for people. I think those are all okay, but then still backing it up with something actable, you know, attack that person, impress that person, you know, charm that person, question that person, challenge that person. Those are do that even in that commercial shoot where you need just like two lines of dialogue. Ideally. Yeah. But also looks sometimes that's just not uh, in in the cards, but I guess what I'm really saying is that Every time I've said tighten it up, it's a 50-50 shot as to whether or not things will <laughs> right. get tighter. And yeah. so, do you think pick up the cues? Do you ever say that to people? Those words? Uh, I say, I'll say pick it up sometimes. But also, I'm thinking about the edit at that point. Like, I will oftentimes, going back to my earlier point of like, oh, if you're just in, in tight singles or even dirty versions, 
you can take the breath out in between in the edits, which is not a good plan. That the, that force that's choosing your edit in advance rather than yeah. I actually think you you're right there. Yeah. Like in this in the clean singles, like loosen the cues, like don't mm-hmm. step on each other's lines, especially if they're like in an echoey room or something. Mm-hmm. Like because in in a two shot or white shot, it's fun to see people like do 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 rapid fire, like mm-hmm. you know, interrupting each other. But on the close up, you want to you basically are shooting that shot so that you can change the dialogue if you need to or remove words. And so I do think you can like give it a breath because we're close on you and we want to be able to edit. I too frequently will wait until they're clean close up to really dial in a performance because I know that that is the thing that is the most usable and tends to be the last thing that you shoot. You know, so you're you're really kind of dialed in. I'm aware of like what I'm really trying to get at. That means then that you can only use your closes. So then your edit is always going to go wide, medium, close, 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 wide, out. Well, I personally love to take the audio from the close up and put it in the wide shot. Sure. Um, yeah. And just lip sync it. And, you know, Don Sherell, like a previous guest of ours, who's a guy, directs a bunch of Geico commercials, but um, started out as a sound engineer. He told us he'll always do a take of the wide shot with the boom mic right next to the actor's face. Mm-hmm. Just, mm-hmm. you know, shoot a plate and remove it. A lot of times when you're shooting the close up, you have the best audio, right? Because you have the microphones mm-hmm. like right in their face. You have the boom, you have the lob, you have the, you figured out the scene. So, yeah, it's obviously you want a perfect wide shot with the perfect performance, but that, that's my cheat. And whenever I start working with editors, I'm like, I do not care at all. When the audio was recorded and when the footage was shot, yeah. like those two things do have nothing to do with each other. If you, there's a funny sound that happened in this take, but a funny performance in this take, just take that sound. Like yeah. it doesn't matter. And, and you can change an entire feeling of a shot or a scene or a commercial or a movie by changing the performance through the, by choosing the audio from one take and putting it in the, video another take it's so funny we've been making this show for 45 years and that's the first time i feel like i've heard you say that or maybe i just forgot in the last 40 and i love that <laughs> really smart i just remember kind of one other thing that i say about pace is like so the thing about actors <laughs> when you're on set and they're getting paid and you're on a schedule and you give them direction they'll be like great thank you i'll do that but i guarantee you half the time they say that they have no idea what you're talking about yeah so they sometimes say, okay, i give direction okay, thank you yeah. And I don't know if it lands. So that's why I like to talk to you about it on the podcast. This have, you, sense. have you ever asked an actor, like, did you know what I mean meant when I said this? When I said pace it up, did you understand what I meant after they didn't do it? I wouldn't say it that way. But if I tell someone to pick up the cues and then they're not doing it. And my first test on every actor, I don't know if it's a jerk move or something. So I'll be like, hey, can you stand on that mark real quick and then cheat your eyeline to camera? If they can do those two things, then I know that they've been on a set before and they've acted and they have some experience. Sure. Yeah, yeah. If they're like, I've literally had actors stand on the mark backwards, you know, they put their heels like where the teeth. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. We got to talk that's, to this person a little differently, you know? That's sweet. Um, that's... <laughs> but, uh, um, the camera yeah. Place yet? How? <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And that yeah. was like on a multi cam, like we had three cameras. But, uh, I told you uh, I had a, a version of that one time where I, was a new person i'd set up the like the mark was very specific it was like high frame rate there was smoke going off there's dead bodies they're like just like they were walking through 
it, 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 it was like an over the top. I knew I was going to add doves into the background, basically, like like John Woo mm-hmm. doves. Like and she's got like a cool gun and sunglasses and stuff. And she's walking in slow motion and she just breezes right past the mark. Just keeps going. <laughs> just like practically walks into the camera. <laughs> You just burned a thousand feet of film, dude. Yeah, 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 exactly. Wait, so you were funny. directing or you were directing? Working. Oh. Directing. Funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's so funny. I think I've heard that story. Yeah. Um, but so bad. the thing I do tell actors sometimes to try to get the pace higher is that I, I want to feel a ri- the scene should have a rhythm. And then mm-hmm. I'll kind of try to act it out. Like, like you say this, da 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 da. And then she's like, da 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 da. And then he comes in. Like, if I had a metronome playing that, like, your line, her line, your line, mm-hmm. door opens. And again, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. But like, I can see a world where that's a catastrophe because <laughs> the, the, the thing, and that's, I, I'm being hyperbolic, but the number one thing I hate the most from a performance is when things become sinks on me. Right. So, like, an act, the way this happens typically is an actor's, you know, they start to prepare and they, you know, the line is, you know, um, she likes her chicken spicy. And they memorize it and they memorize it and they memorize it and they learn it one way. And then it becomes a song in their head, a melody, not words. And the only way they can say it is they like their chicken spicy. They like their chicken spicy and they can do it faster. They can do it slower, but there's no change in that inflection or the thought behind it, which is the most important thing. And so it doesn't necessarily end, end up being a problem but if you're if you need to tweak it if it's not she likes her chicken spicy it's she likes her chicken spicy if it's a song it's really hard for them to break it if it's just two actors talking back and forth i would first try to pick up the cues and then like i will be like hey you're there's a sense of urgency you know like you hear mm-hmm. you hear someone just thrashing the office like plants are falling mm-hmm. down glasses breaking talk loud walk fast we had this issue where we were dolling back you know leading these two actors and that dolly can only move so fast. And so the actors need to look like they're really in a rush, but not move that fast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's like an acting challenge, actually. But uh, the rhythm thing, I usually use it when there's blocking involved in it, too. And mm-hmm. I find it's really hard for actors to, if you give them a direction like, okay, say, say it like this while you're cutting the cake, while you're picking this up, while you're opening the door. It, it's like hard. But if you can... Yeah. Turn the pieces like say this, turn, open the door as she walks in, you do this. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, so that's like, I think I go to the rhythm more for how the blocking is interacting with dialogue than mm-hmm. like, you know, unless it's like the opening scene from Juno or something, or there's sure. like music, right? Rhythm, yeah, that, yeah, that we need to hit. But you know, with good actors, they can hit your rhythm and keep mm-hmm. the performance, you know, yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. And I think also the more experienced people are, the more you can bring them in on that stuff. You can say, hey, don't forget, this is a 30 second commercial. And you just give it to me faster and they can keep it natural and funny and good and all that. Or watch your eyeline here or pace this up or whatever, you know. Or in our world, since we do a lot of comedy and everyone's like, oh, you know, add a button at the end, say something funny at the Mm -hmm. end. And then, you know, all the actors in the scene will all fight to say something. Brutal. Brutal. Yeah. And so you do it one, you rehearse it, you know, while they're setting up the camera or something. Like, that's, that's awesome. I love that line. You know, let's mm-hmm. on this take, let's just have that one line and let's do a shorter version because it's a, you know, maybe it'll fit into the 15 second cut. Um, but when you start improv, that's when things just get so long. <laughs> but yeah, 
I mean, you're you're doing workshopping scenes like every week, so you're probably getting a lot of this type of action. But to me, when you figure it out, it's like such a good feeling. And when you don't figure it out, that's when I just shoot like three camera angles because I like, <laughs> yeah, will like, edit this to work. Yeah, we'll, we'll tighten it up. I, we've talked about when I'm doing those workshops, though, you don't have any of those tools. It's been the thing that I've been dealing with what the most. Mean, editing or directing? Action? Editing. Editing. So if I'm like, oh, there's no, the pacing is wrong. I've been having a really hard time because like, I'll say things like go faster and that's not good directing. And without the benefit of being able to intercut different angles, the scene starts to fall apart. And the, the fun of doing these workshops is like being forced to like make it work exclusively on its own theatrical merits. Just, just as a stage piece, basically. And when I say that, that's so fun when you figure it out on set. And it mean like when you figure out that what you're getting on set isn't working and you have to edit it. Oh, yeah, of course. Of I mean, course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so yeah. fun when you, you, an actor actually gives you an improv line that you're like, ooh, that is good. You know, <laughs> sure. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like, let's yeah. say that. And then, like, you know, the people at the monitor are laughing. Like, that's, and you know that it fits in the rhythm. That, like, that's a fun. It doesn't happen all the time. But, yeah, well, but I guess what, but you get to do, yeah, you get to faster, but you can also be like, ooh, you know what? Like, I know you were sitting down for the scene, but what if you're like peeing in the toilet while you do like, You know, mm-hmm. or whatever you do, you know, like, I imagine. That is you what I'm, I'm, that I'm always stuff. like, well, this time you're on the toilet for this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, a movie that all takes place on toilets <laughs> all over the world. And it sounds well, like something I'm... someone would email us about. <laughs> uh, hey, you got it. Have you heard of Danny Kirkpatrick? He is he's got famous a famous grip. Public, public now, urination slash two shot yes. spot. And now he's done the good. first movie that features toilets from 17 countries. Yeah. Um, sorry, we love it when you guys pitch us your projects. Keep pitching them. Don't be offended if we don't write you back. Uh, we, um, we're not great at it, but we love to hear from you. <laughs> We're and every once in a while, I'll just email. Like, I literally responded to someone that pitched us uh, their movie, like, in January, like, two days ago. Um, so, uh, I, I hope like, you weren't too rude. <laughs> no, I, I, it was. So, we, we get a lot of times people are like, we made this movie for $10,000. And it was a struggle. Mm-hmm. And it premiered at, you know, Backyard Film Festival or whatever. Um, and it won this award. And now you can watch it on Amazon. Um, and for us, I, 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 what I said to this person is like, look, at the end of the day, obviously we care about our listeners. We want you to tune in, but we want to talk about the stuff that you and I are interested in. And yeah, what we're most yeah. interested in is the people that made the awesome short film that led to meet this actor, mm-hmm. the person that made this Sundance film that got them the movie at focus, you know, mm-hmm. features right. and like that bridge from being your own independent filmmaker that just shot it to person is now making a living as a director. That's when you come. That's the show. Talk to us, right. right? Yeah. Yeah. And so if you've only done the first part, but there's no indication that the second part is ever going to happen, then it's just a little early to talk to us. So come to us when the second part happens. Matt, it's been awesome talking comedy filmmaking with you, craft stuff, everything. I hope you're enjoying San Antonio. Uh, before I let you go, I know it's late there. What are you, cent- Central Time? Central Time, yeah. I was wondering if you would hang out for like two minutes to 
unpaid endorse with me. Unpaid endorsements. So the good news is on my flight out, I watched a handful of, I've been, I came out for a scout and back and forth anyway. I watched a film. I haven't yet finished it. So no spoilers. If you've seen the movie already, are you familiar with ambulance? The Michael Bay picture. It's fucking awesome. Really? I've it's, seen it like available for streaming. Should I, I should watch it. You got to be in the right headspace. Yeah, it's Michael Bay. It's Michael Bay. I think it's his best movie since The Rock. The first hour, I fucking loved. Gets a little flabby in the middle, and I think we're I'm about to like kick back off into like the stratosphere of the of the finale. Basically, I knew that Jake Gyllenhaal is in the movie. That mm-hmm. Michael Bay directed it. That the L and A are capitalized. And that there's a lot of FPV drone shots in the movie. Those are the only mm-hmm. things I knew. And there's a hell of like, like a ton of FPV and it's fucking sick. I w- like as I was watching it, I was like, man, I wish Michael Bay were 20 years younger because FPV would be in all of his movies and it would be sick. Like it'd be so awesome if like a drone was like flying through Alcatraz as Connery is like escaping. Or saving the day, we flying through the smoke as Nicolas Cage is trying to stab adrenaline into his heart and save the San Francisco. Anyway, so ambulance is awesome. It is okay. uh, it is amped up. It's so much movie. It's so much, but um, but I I loved it. I, I was on the literal edge of my seat. That's awesome. I'll check it out. Well, on that same note, I watched Top Gun Maverick. Mm. Really, really enjoyed it. Uh, it's on the theater. We're real adrenaline junkies over here. The movie has an intro from Tom Cruise saying, thanks for coming to the theater. And then yeah. his name is not in the opening credits because literally because he got this like intro. We saw it at Look Cinemas in Glendale and was texting you about it on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. $5 Tuesdays. If you live in the LA area, go to Look Cinemas in Glendale. The movies are $5 on Tuesday. You get a recliner. You can order food. Dude, you get nachos for $6 and a beer for $6. So $24 plus the $10 for the tickets, $34. Amazing date. Tell me where you can have a great three-hour date, $34 and that. So look, Cinemas, uh, two other totally random endorsements. If you have flies in your backyard, Matt, earmuffs mm-hmm. with these freaking outdoor fly trap bags from Home Depot. Or you can get oh, I don't have a problem with that. I don't mind killing flies. I mind killing spiders. They work so well. Just hang this bag, put some water in it. Smells incredibly bad. We just put it like in the far corner of your yard and every fly in your yard will fly in there. And I don't want to tell you what happens after that, but there, if you have a fly problem, get one of these bags, outdoor fly trap bag. They're like $3. And you know, when they get filled with flies, you put them in the trash. And my other thing, something I got a couple of years ago, I realized every time we order sushi, you know, we get like soy sauce, mm-hmm. those packets, and you rip them up and you try to put them in like the plastic tray or whatever. It's just like it's always a mess. So I bought mm-hmm. my own set of soy sauce trays. And mm. I just think, and they're so useful for like all these different things. I just went to Amazon yeah. and soy sauce trays and I am promoting Amazon. Go to wherever. So the little, like a little square guy with like the divider in between. So you've got the. No, I just got probably. little round ones. You can use them for any sauce. We use them yeah. all the time. Like, you want to. Olive oil. Yeah, sure. Yeah, olive oil, ketchup. 
there's, you know, super cheap, probably like 10 bucks. I got like eight of them or something. And I found a new use this week for them. Do you ever like use the lemon, like cut half the lemon and you have half a lemon left? You're trying to save. Mm-hmm. Sure. And then yep. you put it like on a plate upside down and then you put it in the fridge. We have small Tupperwares that are um, the half lemon, lemon size. Half lemon size. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. this is even smaller. You just put it face down on the soy sauce plate and you stick it in the in the fridge. If you have any thoughts on any of the stuff we talked about, email us at justshootapod at gmail.com. Well, Oren. It's been great chatting, Matt. Another good conversation. Yeah, so fun to talk craft. If you want more episodes like this, drop us a line. You can uh, tweet at us at justshootapod. Or across all social media at just shoot a pod, or you can tweet at me at Mr. Madden Low. I'm not on the platform very much lately, but you know, that's okay. You can just email me too. That's fine. I'm on Twitter all the time as just a reader and I like things. So if you follow me, I'm at Smitey Pileg. You can see all the things I like and maybe you'll want to not follow me anymore. You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at O'Kaplan and I have on my to-do list is like all these behind the scenes things I want to put on Instagram that I just haven't Can't been months so tune in in the meantime though if you're looking for a good film social media handle to follow on tiktok shout out to our editor noah bayshore he's talking about his instagram his tiktok he's blowing up doing incredible stuff retweeting all sorts of great filmmakers awesome so at noah bayshore on tiktok that's that's a recommendation for following yeah so noah bayshore he's our editor the music you're listening to is from the Free Music Archive and the artist Jazar. And rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Email us, chat with us, DM us. We really enjoy interacting with you and we'll see you next time. Thanks everyone. Bye. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 